Welcome to the Knife Journal Podcast, episode number 95. Good buddy Kyle Verstig and myself, James Noka, and this is the Knife Journal Podcast. Great. Okay, so now uh, some ground rules here. This is an impromptu podcast. Uh, we just released one like the other day. Uh, this is us cooking and talking about some stuff as we cook. Cooking with Kyle. Cooking with Kyle in Jim's kitchen. Right, and so. You know, there's going to be some noises and things that you might not like. If if you are having any difficulty with the audio quality of this podcast, um, just go ahead and do yourself and me a favor and just go on to the next one. You know, maybe we should put that up here. Um, okay, maybe so... we'll get a better level. Uh, the like, other wait. thing we're going to do here is uh, your audio levels are going to change here. Um, now, long-term listeners of the podcast have noticed that Jim is a lot louder than Kyle usually, and that's because he got a big mouth yells all the time. Okay, <laughs> but uh, we have just changed the position of our microphone. I'm, I apologize; the audio quality here is not going to be what it could be. But uh, we have some good stuff to talk about. So yeah, it's going to be great, anyways. And you might hear like ice cubes in a glass or. Right, and chopping garlic, because uh, what I'm doing right now is chopping some garlic. Okay, what, do I, what uh, can I chop? I wait, chop uh, so actually what you could chop if you wanted to, you can get a separate um, cutting board and you can start cutting up these shallots. Okay. Okay, so I'm chopping garlic, uh, making them very fine, okay. and Jim is going to start chopping some shallots here. Uh, I have a... Dinner in mind for Jim and his lovely wife and me, and uh, we will get busy for you. Uh, okay, so uh, knife podcast wise, what's the first thing you want to talk about? What's the number one burning issue on your mind? On my mind? Right, knife wise. You know, I've been looking at some. And I don't even know how to even approach this. Um, I've been looking at some knife designs that I cannot get my head wrapped around. Okay, go ahead. And uh, and, and I'm not going to point any any particular knife out. Right. But a lot of them are being made now by by some of the big ma- by some of the big companies, not makers necessarily, but some of the big companies, and they're. Being somebody that uses a knife all the time, right? I can't fathom, can't get my head around owning something like this and trying to figure out how to use it, right? And and the number of them that I'm seeing is huge, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I just don't follow it. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay. really getting the whole. So, so uh, can we both acknowledge that there is an absolutely enormous knife fan base on Instagram? Oh yeah. Oh, okay, no, no so question. so Instagram is primarily a photography-based thing, right? Yeah. And so, uh, and there's beautiful pieces on it. 
there are absolutely gorgeous pieces on Instagram. But now, the what I am seeing lately is that is that things like Instagram and platforms that uh, dwell very heavily on uh, the visual aspects of a knife uh, are driving what is popular and what people like. So if a knife photographs well, uh, regardless of whether it uses well, my guess is is that that is what the knife industry is going to make because people are excited about that particular well, and you know, thing. And it's you know, one of the things that I think we spoke about before was the fact that, you know, all these designs have been done before. I mean, most generally yeah. speaking, a knife design is done before. And if it's not been done before, it usually, there's a reason why it wasn't done before. Right. Because back when we were seriously using knives for everyday life, when you re- literally could not get by without a knife, um, you had knives that were designed to work. Right. You didn't see any of the stuff that, any of the, this wild stuff that you see today. Right. And um, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm not, sh- you know, I, it's probably okay for the knife industry, but I'm not so sure it's it's good for for people that are actually wanting to use something. Right. You know, I mean, if, if you still have to have knives around that you, that you, um, is that enough of them? Um, you know, listen, so what we're doing, you guys are going to hear a lot of noises here. Jim and I are cutting up some stuff. But, uh, before we go on, I want to talk about this Almar <laughs> kitchen knife that I have in my hand. Do you, uh, I, there's Japanese on the blade. I it's have a, no fucking clue. It's a, um, uh, a while back, uh, Almar came out with a line of kitchen knives, and I, I want to say they're made by Hattori. Um, Almar did, I think, I'm pretty sure that, that that's who made that. Okay. And, um, and, it, and Japanese are known for a lot of their kitchen knives, a lot of their kitchen, you know, good cutlery. Right. And, and that was why, um, and Almar used them, and, and, uh, and that was quite a popular that was quite a popular. I got a. Actually, I have three of those. Um, this three is different fantastic. Size. Oh, it's a nice knife. It's a real nice knife. Okay, so what I have in my hand is something that's about an eight-inch Japanese chef knife. Now, if you are an American and you pick up this knife and you hold this knife in your hand, uh, you're going to think that the handle is too short because you're going to hold it like round eyes would, like I would, right? How much do you cut? Find you want this? Oh, slices. There, yeah, perfect. Okay, so so Jim is chopping up some shallots. I'm I'm going with some garlic, but they don't hold knives like you do. So really, this is a three finger three finger handled knife with your thumb and index finger being on the blade, and in that case, the handle length is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the blade thickness is perfect. The handling characteristics of this knife, including thickness and how well it goes through stuff, is absolutely perfect. Yeah, that's a, that's been a favorite of mine for a long right. time. I would say that this is this is one of the better handling chef knives that I have ever used. When when we did uh, 
when Knife Forums did a kitchen knife for the Kitchen Knife uh, Forum, right. we had Hattori build them. And uh, I have actually had one of those on the shelf over there on the oh, rack. I might have to use and that. And I'll next. tell you what, it's bigger. It's a bigger knife than that. Right. But once you, that is that is probably the finest chef knife I think I've ever had in my hand. Um, right. It was designed with a bunch of different inputs from guy, from chefs, and uh, and I'll tell you, it it just came out wonderful. Nice. Okay, so uh, longtime listeners of the podcast will recognize that we have talked about kitchen knives before. It's not a a common subject, uh, but it's a good subject. The, yeah, it's a very good subject because I use. Every single day, I will use three different knives. One knife, every single day I use this knife, uh, except for maybe Saturday and Sunday unless I'm on call. It's a scalpel, mm-hmm. okay? Absolutely, ideally, and perfectly designed and evolved for its purpose. The other knife that I will use every day is some sort of a kitchen knife, uh, very often a chef knife. Um, that I've talked about ad nauseum on here before, and I bought it at, like, Walmart for, like, five bucks. Uh, uh, Another knife that I'll use most days is just going to be whatever little pocket knife I have on me. So um, reaching into my pocket, what do I have right now? I have one of my all-time favorite knives, a Spyderco Rhodey. You use it a lot. I use it... I end up carrying this probably more than I carry most of the other knives that will ever be in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, it does exactly what you want it to do. It's some sort of a crazy modified sheep's foot design. It almost looks like a... Um, is there a... Oh, I'm looking at the back side of it. I was going to say, if this was the cutting edge of it, does, is there a, a scalpel that has that kind of a shape to it, yeah. the bottom edge? I mean, but, if you reversed it. Yeah, there is. That would be a uh, ten blade. Um, but the uh, this this knife is beautiful. It and and the thing is, is it still has the spidey hole, which is not functional to open this knife. But later on in the knife, at the at sort of towards the tip, they have an indent. It's like a spider divot. Right, a divot. It's not a hole, and this opens up the knife. And nine times out of ten. Well, not nine times out of ten. I'm being facetious here. But uh, very, very often I have that knife or some version of a knife that's very similar to that size. Okay, so both Jim and I use knives every day, and this is why I went on this digression, is that both of us see a lot of knives uh, that photograph very well but are not very practical when it comes to this is something I'm actually going to use. And so getting getting back to what you were saying before, I wonder how much of the knife world is currently steered by what is going to photograph well versus what are you going to actually use. Well, and because this, this knife, this Almar Chef's knife that I have in my hand, would photograph like shit. Yeah. It would look like anything you're ever going to have... And uh, there's nothing special about this looks-wise until you actually use it. Right. So what's going to make you buy that? Well, that's that's always been the issue with um, a lot of guys are talking about kitchen knives and, and what will perform real well. And then they go to Williams-Sonoma, and what do they buy? They buy something that looks real pretty, but not, you know, I mean, it's... Right. 
Hattori made that and sold that to several different people. Right. Falconet actually sold that knife. Also. Okay. Um, they had their... I, I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but Falkenhoven has a had a, a, a set of kitchen knives that were made by Hitori also, because all the Falkenhoven knives are made by them. Okay. Um, all made in Japan, and um, the the Japanese are very good at making. Oh, stuff. sure, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they're very, very good at that. Right. And and I have a set. I don't know if I have it here. I haven't used it in a long time. So, people, this is where our audio quality is going to vary because both of us are stepping away from the mic. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, this is it's kind of dusty because wow. we have not used it in a while. Wow. Solid handled, like very They're high very, polished, very, very classy. Finished, very classy. Very classy knives made by Full Knife. Yep. And, uh, and, and we've been... Got that one. So Jim is going to do one more shallot here, and by the time of, by the time we're done with this podcast, you guys are going to know how to make some really fantastic food that the ladies love, that the men envy, and that the kids dream about at night. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Jim is heading out. To... I'll be right back. Okay. Uh, people, catch us on the flip side. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. Okay, so we're back. Uh, Jim's cutting wedges in these tomatoes. Uh, I'm getting some bacon ready. We're cooking. So we're cooking with gas on my old Viking range. Right. Okay, so. Um, and see, that's a sharp knife right there. Hey, so do you want to know what I did today? What did you do today? So I looked on the interwebs for a forecast, and the forecast just now extends through the time when I'm supposed to be at Ethan Becker's. Yeah. So I looked at the forecast for Ethan Becker's for when I'm supposed to be there, and every day it is supposed to rain. Right? So there is a very good chance that I will not be able to sleep on the ground. Uh, which is... You know, listen, uh, what what can I say? Sometimes you eat the bear, sometimes the bear eats you. That's got to suck, though, you know. And, that, you know, and Ethan's place is fun, but it's not fun when it's raining. Right, because you're it's, standing outside all of the time. There well, not only not only inside. that, it's freaking clay. It's, 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 and it's sticky right. clay. So it pulls up. Right, and so there's a very, very good chance that I will end up in a hammock despite my recent efforts to get my uh, four-man teepee by Black Diamond up and running. Today, uh, in the mail came a sheet of Tyvek, which is awesome. I ran it through the washer on the cold uh, cycle, and... uh, 
it's no longer super noisy. Then I took it downstairs and I put some uh, grommet tags on it with some contact cement and all of this. I'm very much hoping to be able to use that as a ground cloth underneath my teepee. Should this not happen, do you want to know the other thing that is always welcome when you are in rain? The tarp. An extra tarp. An extra so, tarp. You want, what do you want done with this? You want to put uh, it on a plate or? Uh, a plate. Right. Uh, bigger than that because we're going to a plate that we can serve uh, Ensalada Capri Sun. Big enough? There you go. That's big enough. Okay, so take that and put that out there. Um, and then you don't need to make this one. Um, so. I'm having a sip. Okay, let's have a sip. The, the, uh, the kitchen, the whole kitchen Spices. knife thing, the whole kitchen knife thing is, is, uh, you know, for people that like to use knives, that really enjoy to use knives, I would highly recommend getting yourself a couple really, really nice, a couple really, really nice uh, kitchen knives. Right. Because because you you always you always will have them and you'll always use them. Um, you use them all the time. I mean, and it's and it's a you know it's one of those things that it's, right. I should drain this out, shouldn't I? Okay, so Jim has some fresh mozzarella that I just bought. Uh, Should I rinse this or no? No, um, it's rinsed already. That's how it should be. And what I'm doing here is uh, uh, Fanta put some bacon on a cookie sheet into the oven here. And Jim is going to chop up that mozzarella and, and toss it real well with that. You want squares? Little squares? Uh, slices, like you would do. Slices. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so Jim is slicing some balls of buffalo mozzarella that I bought um, Where'd you get this yesterday. Oh, I bought uh, that uh, in Traverse City at uh, Fancy Place. Uh, anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to give them advertising. They can pay. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Jim is slicing up some buffalo mozzarella. He's going to mix it with. Uh, tomato and then the next thing he's going to do is he's going to make up some rather attractive looking slices of red onion Ooh. Uh, but that is something that he's going to do in just a minute okay so uh, where are we at we've uh, exhausted the topic of kitchen knives oh the other thing too one one of the thing and, and a lot of people know this but you know some of you guys don't keep your kitchen knives sharp Right, uh, and and I have a good friend of mine that came up with an idea called the Work Sharp system. Yeah, yeah, Ken Onion. Ken Onion, right. and I'm going to tell you what I use in dull knives, probably as much as anybody does. Right, and if you do not have the, the option of having a um, a few minutes ago. I went and touched up my before I took on these tomatoes because they were they were they're on the ripe side so they're not there's there's yeah, they're very soft yeah, this is a knife where you need a, a sharp knife to yep. cut through this without wrecking and squishing your yep. tomato and so and so basically what I did was I went over went to my work sharp I turned it on I was literally it was like eight seconds came back and wiped off the blade and bingo you're done right. okay so. Okay, what's next? I think we've beat that to death. 
Um, okay, so uh, now what I've done here is uh, I have some bacon cooking on a uh, baking sheet, and I have some uh, asparagus that I'm going to douse in that bacon grease. Oh, okay. And then I'm going to take that bacon and I'm going to have Jim crumble it up and dabble it over this. Okay. So there's going to be olive oil eventually before we're done here. There's going to be olive oil and black pepper and bacon grease and bacon on this asparagus tossed. And then eventually there will be Parmesan cheese. Now, we're going to put that in the oven after we're done? Oh, yeah, because the uh, asparagus, uh, there's a bunch of different ways you can cook asparagus. One way is to steam it. That's the way my mom did it. And then there's the way that I do it, which is to take it and toss it with some sort of a cooking fat, either olive oil or bacon grease, and uh, bake it in the oven. You know what I do? And what? I've, I've done this a lot of times. It, you, to toss it in the fat thing. Right. Then I put it on a pan or I put it on a grill. Right. And put lemon pepper on it. Right. And 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 uh, and then grill it like that. So it, it, on, a, on a hot grill and I kind of chars it a little bit. Right. Really so good. we're we're essentially doing the same thing mm -hmm. except that it's now uh, mid-April and there is snow on the ground and neither <laughs> Jim nor I wish to go out and it's start a grill. grill. So I'm pulling this out, um, and I'll save it. Oh, this is a big one. Ooh. So I think I'm going to have uh, Jim read this as I prepare the chicken. Uh, it's dated 3-30-2016, uh, and there you go. This is uh, from Our Man in the Field. Okay. Dear Kyle, this letter unfortunately interrupts the Buick Chronicles or any further tales of life and times of Safari Joe. I think it's Buck. Buck. B-U-C-K. Oh, what did I say? You said Buick. Buick. No, Buck we don't Chronicles. own Buicks. We, we buy wheel cars. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Um, for many years, my go-to choice in the three-season jacket has been a Carhartt hooded jacket, hooded duck jacket, with the light thermal lining, is that the is that the red one or the blanket lining? Uh, it's uh, uh, I think I, they have they have, they have the it's blanket. Like a, the his red. is a his is a tan Carhartt jacket, and right. it's a not it's not a red thing. It's like some nondescript like dark gray or something. So like, it's not blanket. It's a thermal lining, is some sort of a fleece. Okay. But uh, granted, the jacket that he's talking about is probably forty years old. Okay. Early on this past winter, I got to thinking that 35 years ago or so, I had worn a Big Mac, sold by J.C. Penny. Wow, Big Mac, I remember those. 
chore coat, and I recalled that I had liked that back then. So I went on a quest to find the blanket-lined old-fashioned chore coat like I recalled from the days gone by. After many trips to numerous mills fleet, yeah, that's a Bobby that's a store in uh, and local farm supply stores. That's a Mills Fleet is a store that you can find in Iowa. So mm-hmm. I, I I'm going to have to unfortunately add some commentary in here yeah. occasionally. Um, I came up empty-handed. It was as if they didn't exist, and I'm out here in Ground Zero of Farmville for crying out loud. So I go online and locate a business called Dungarees.net. And order a Carhartt model C001 brown duck jacket blanket. You know, I used to have one of those. Well, let me tell you, this thing has been great. And just like I recall, they are a bit longer and do a better job of keeping the wind from freezing your ass than the jacket length <laughs> garment does. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's funny. I think Kathy still has hers. She had a chore coat, too. And they, you could get them in blue, too. Nice. You could get them in blue or brown. Right. Um, I think the blue ones were a little bit lighter than the duck ones. So, like, you'd wear the blue one in the fall and in the, in the late spring, but the brown one you wore in the wintertime. Right, right. Um, keep me from freezing your ass. With the arrival of spring and a renewed sense of purpose on, in life borne by wearing my brown duck chore coat, and packing a buck 110 on a daily basis, I decided to look for an unlined chore coat. Oh, he's stepping out. Yeah. More suitable for the warmer weather. And those are cool, too. Yeah, they are. Back to the dungarees.net. That, go. That, when I was in, when I was in uh, college, that was called a barn coat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were very, very popular yep. in the mid-'90s. Yep. Now, uh, uh yeah, you put those on with, you put chores, because you could always put, like, for example, one of the dairy farms I worked on when I was a kid, when I was young, you would have, you'd, you'd walk out in the cow lots, and you'd have, like, a syringe with a shot in it, in your right. pocket. Right. And the pocket had to be big enough and deep enough that you could put all your, whatever you needed to do when you ran across the cow that you had to give a shot to, or do whatever you had to do to. Right. Um, marker with tape and do all that kind of stuff. You had to have big enough pockets to put that stuff and have easy access to it. And right. that's why those coats were so popular. Right. They still are. Uh, barn coat. Uh, again, like uh, he's he's preaching to the choir here because yep. I, I wore barn coats uh, when I was growing up. But then when I got into college, all of a sudden the coat that I wore forever is now this big thing. And all these frat boys were wearing yeah. them. And you wanted to punch them in the mouth. And then... Um, Take them and uh, make them work on a farm and earn that coat. Yep. Okay. So back to dungarees.net I go, only to learn that nobody makes such a thing. After much searching, I stumble across a small company in Tennessee, L.C. King, that still makes all kinds of bib overalls, chore coats, and other things. And they even make them all in different weaves that there were that were years ago: brown, blue, hickory stripe, Fisher stripe. Needless to say, I was feeling giddy about locating this time capsule of a company. I'm going to have to go on that. As I continued to search their website, an uneasy, disturbing feeling began to come over me as I noticed a common denominator amongst all these people modeling these clothes. White, 20-something, unnaturally thin, oh, full-bearded. No. Good grief, Kyle. This is, is this some of the hipster thing? Oh, no. Oh, no. I've been made aware that yesterday's emos might have morphed into today's hipsters. 
and that there is a hipster variant called a lumbersexual. Oh, no! <laughs> My God, is this the subspecies of, lumber se- of the lumbersexual variant that, for want of a better term, I will call the 1930s farmer chick? Oh, no, Sheik, yeah. (laughs) I don't mind telling you that I'm more than a little bit troubled by this. Okay, hold on just one second. (laughs) That's funny shit. I'm sorry, but that is funny shit. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, he knows his stuff. This guy knows how to hit a button. (laughs) In fact... I challenge you to go to the website, then click on, a sh- on the shop icon. A table of contents will appear, and just to the right of this will be a rail-thin, bearded character wearing a Prohibition-era hat, a brown duck shirt, and shod in what appears to be custom-made work boots, quote-unquote work boots, that I suspect never, will, never have or ever will be soiled by the likes of mud or hog shit. <laughs> exactly. And, Who the and, fuck and do these posers the think they are? Know what hog shit is? <laughs> Who the fuck do these posers think they are? When I was in high school and in early twenties, I worked occasionally for these two old bachelor brother farmers who lived with their old maid sister on the farm where they all were born. This place was like waking up in a time warp and finding yourself on the set of an old TV show, The Waltons. They farmed with 1950s tractor, drove a three-quarter ton 1950s Ford pickup truck, and even had a Model A flatbed truck they took to town for to get feed at the elevator. What you might ask was the fashion and lifestyle statement of choice for these two pioneers and, and paragons of hipsters. Hickory striped bib overalls and blue denim chore coats. Thank you for your patience and tolerating the rantings of this doddering old fool. One can't blame a company for going where the market is. Chances are, are more hipsters than farmers anymore. And believe me, the current crop of auto-guided, cloud-staring farmers aren't buying too many bib overalls. A number of years ago, an older lady who played an old-time country music played old-time country music and gave yodeling lessons told me that. At one time, bluegrass music was going down the drain until it was saved by the hipsters in the 60s and 70s, the hippies of the 60s and 70s. Maybe I can take comfort in knowing that traditional farm work clothing of the early 20th century is being saved by the hipsters. Regards. Our man in the field. Our man in the field. P.S. P.S. Have you ever speculated that what the next incarnation of hipsters will be when the current phase has played out? Listen, Mr. Man. Okay, so he's... <laughs> look at those. That is a total hipster. And so he's, bucks. he's printed off all of these uh, overalls and bars. Yeah, I have those. I, that's, I have yeah, that. that's the coat that I okay, had so, when I was growing up. So literally, um, I can appreciate what you're saying because I dressed like that in the in the 80s because in the early you fucking 80s. had to yeah well because i was farming and that yeah, was yeah because um, this is how you dress like yep. right now yep. um i wear a oxford dress shirt mm-hmm. and slacks and dress shoes mm-hmm. and a tie to work mm-hmm. if i didn't have to do that if i was a farmer say what would i wear to work you know when i was out the other oh. weekend these people, they drive me crazy. These people drive me crazy. Oh, the hipsters. Oh, my God, we're on fire tonight. The hipsters. Where did all this come from? 
Oh, it's been a long time. It's been pent up. Pent right. Let's cook. We need to eat. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so people, uh, how do they find us? Oh! Um, okay, wasn't expecting that. Okay, let's go to uh, knifejournal.com. Let's go to, you want to, uh, no, holder. Um, you can like us on Facebook at Knife Journal Podcast. Um, you can look us up and we're there. We're readily available. You can drop us an email note at um, podcast at knifejournal.com. And uh, you can hit us up on Facebook, Kyle or, or I, KR Verstig or James Noka. Um, and, uh, you know, friend us. If you're not a Russian hooker, you'll probably get through. Um, I, I have had many, many, many oh, that's, friend requests from Russian hookers. Yeah, that's the like the latest. Weeks. That's like the latest uh, thing, I guess. You know, but um, and then uh, you know, enjoy the podcast. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Um, we we thrive on feedback. If you um, want to drop us some uh, positive feedback on iTunes, that's that's always welcome. And uh, you got anything else? My wife is hovering over the uh, over the caprese salad. I don't, but we are currently cooking. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. And uh, keep your knives sharp and your friends sharper. Bye. Bye.